Another heartbreaking loss may spell the end for Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. Virginia, meanwhile, has won its fourth straight and is heading to Broncos' old stomping grounds at BYU. And should Brennan Armstrong be getting more love nationally? All that and Aaron McFarlane's puppy chow this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 64 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's UVA, Virginia Tech, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, my friend? Good afternoon, Mike. I'm well and hope you're the same. I am, and I'm getting excited here in, in the Barber household for Halloween coming up. Is that a, a favorite for, for Tiny Teal in, in your house, or is it uh, an afterthought? No, it's definitely not an afterthought. <laughs> she is she is very much into it, even at age 10, and, and has been throughout. And I believe this year she is headed off to Grandma's Neighborhood. Uh-huh. on on sunday night to stalk the people over there maybe they're more generous with the loot i'm not sure <laughs> does she have a costume selected she's going to be a ballerina very nice now is that purely halloween or does she have any interest in in dance and ballet uh the rest of the other 364 days of the year not recently she <laughs> she took a dance class oh you're gonna you're gonna make me feel bad here three years ago <laughs> And never said, let's go back. That's, that's so many activities, I think, for the kids. Is, oh, yeah. I want to do what I want to do. Our daughter's right now on a big kick of, uh, she wants to learn karate, which we support. And we're going to you know, find lessons. But the first thing she said is, um, how, wh- when will I get my black belt? <laughs> said, well, that's something that, that people achieve over a lifetime of, of studying karate. And she said, so probably like eighth grade. Evan, who is two now, uh, he's going to be Curious George, and I'm going to try the man in the yellow hat, which I found a yellow hat. I found the yellow tie. They don't sell that many yellow shirts and yellow pant combinations, so uh, I'll probably be more of a beige on the pants and the shirt. But <laughs> I, I think when you carry around a little guy in a monkey suit, it, the, the point will get be, be made. I, I believe so. you, you're, a, you're a better dad than I am. Like I do not dress up. Oh, we, that's, it's always been one of my favorite. I mean, I, I laughed when you, when you said tiny teal still into it at age 10, I'm 42 and still into it. And, uh, (laughs) we've, we've done some good ones. I'm a big fan of the family costume. Um, my wife less so. And this year was a funny debate because I think she was trying to kind of get herself out of it by saying, okay, uh, daddy and Evan are going to be curious George and the man in the yellow hat. And my daughter was going to pair up with some friends in the neighborhood uh, and do a costume. So she was kind of off the hook. And what ended up happening was when my daughter heard that I'd be pairing up with Evan for a costume, she thought she should pair up with mommy for a costume. So I believe they're going to be two of the 101 Dalmatians this Halloween. So uh, <laughs> we need to get a website for the podcast so we can start sharing pictures uh, of some of this stuff that we're talking about here. Yes, indeed. Now, David, it is fall. It is Halloween, Thanksgiving on the horizon, but it also means we're in the heart of football season, which for people who do what we do, it's a great time of year and a great part of the year to be into. Not so great right now if you're a Virginia Tech fan. Man, uh, the Hokies lost another close game Saturday at home to Syracuse. This one may be the most excruciating. Uh, Beauty or pain is in the eye of 
the beholder, I know. But uh, in this one, the Hokies squandered a nine-point lead with five minutes to play. They gave up the game-winning 45-yard touchdown pass with, what, 19 seconds mm-hmm. left in the game. Just a crestfallen crowd there chanting, fire Fuente. Uh, that outcome is feeling more and more inevitable uh, in the wake of this recent loss. David, let's start with the game on the field. What went wrong Saturday? Because we've been banging on how bad this offense is and saying how the defense is going to have to carry them. And Saturday, it it was kind of looking in the reverse mirror there. Yeah, flip the script, Mike. Uh, Clearly, the Hokies' worst defensive performance of the season. Uh, Sean Tucker, the ACC's best running back. He, he ran for more than 100, 100 yards. You, you kind of expect that. But Garrett Schrader, the Mississippi State transfer, the former teammate of Keaton Thompson down there in, in the SEC, he ran for like a buck 70, including an immense, immense fourth and four conversion there late in the fourth quarter. The Orange were four for four on fourth down, Mike. And I, I don't know where you were. I don't know if you were watching it on your laptop or anything. I was on my way to the to the UVA Georgia Tech game to meet up with you. So I'm listening to John Laser and Mike Burnup on the radio call. And it, it just, knowing what we know about Virginia Tech season to date, this all seemed inevitable. Yeah. You, you just had this feeling in your gut. There's no, no way... They're going to stop them. You're 100% right. I was sitting in my car because I was meeting our friend Ken Segura from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for a late lunch, early dinner. Um, And I was sitting in the car thinking, if it was anybody else, I'd turn off the car and and go eat. But it just feels like they're about to gack this one up. Um, Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, and then the the radio call, it's funny, I was listening and it, it almost gave... Because Jordan Williams, the, the constant oh, transfer, got such a great him. rush. And it seemed like the takeaway I got was I kind of had this feel of it was, wow, Schrader takes a big hit. He's down and hurt. Oh, and oh, by the way, Touch. they just scored a touchdown that won the game. Um, it, it was, um, you know, just a gasp kind of moment. But like you said, it was you gasped because it happened. But the whole time you were kind of waiting for it to happen. Well, and, 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 and here's where I started to think, Mike that this was going to get sideways. Malachi Thomas, the true freshman running back, has a huge game. Runs, I believe it was 47 yards for a touchdown with five minutes and change left. For the first time all day, Virginia Tech has a two-score lead against an opponent, by the way, that had lost 10 consecutive ACC games. Granted, the last three by, by three points each, but still 10 straight games. So Virginia Tech's finally ahead. By two scores. It's up nine. Justin Fuente has been a head coach for 10 years now. Never, never has a kickoff return against his special teams. Coordinated by James Shebest all 10 of those years. Never has it given up a long kickoff return. What happened? Syracuse returns this ensuing kickoff 51 yards to the Virginia Tech twenty five or Virginia Tech forty five, and right there, it was the biggest buzz kill I think you could ever imagine. And I just felt the oxygen leave the stadium, listening to it on radio, 
And seven plays later, Syracuse punches it in. They're within two points. And then you know what's going to happen next. But it was still, David, it was a miracle touchdown that beat them. I mean, I've watched that replay so many times. I don't understand uh, the defense there. I don't understand. And I don't understand Dorian Strong not trying. That ball was caught at about the 11-yard line. Um, It seemed like there was ample time to at least try for a tackle. And it felt like as soon as the ball was caught, that tech just kind of was like, yep, that's it. Game over. It just deflating is too soft a word, really, um, for, to watch that. It, it almost is what you're saying. It, it felt like everybody, the team included, felt beat before they were actually beat. And you know what the result of that is? You get beat. You get beat. Yeah. And as Justin Fuente told us yesterday, they were in the wrong coverage. Hmm. Dorian Strong was supposed to have help, and he didn't get it. Somebody didn't get it communicated. Now, whether that's on the, the the coaching staff, whether that's on the players on the field was, was kind of unclear to me, but the proper call was not conveyed or was not executed. And Strong's out there in one-on-one coverage deep. And oh, by the way, against a quarterback, as our friend Mike Nizelik reported today, that according to Pro Football Focus, before the game against Virginia Tech, Garrett Schrader was 4 of 24 on passes of longer than 20 yards. That was a 45-yard touchdown pass. It's a good time for Syracuse to buck that trend. David, you, you talk about the coverage and the, and the miscommunication there, and um, certainly there's a lot of things that can lead to that. But for the fans, they're going to point mm-hmm. to the coaching. And at the end of the day, yeah. it is, right? It's yes. about how well were you prepared, how well did you execute on game day, which brings us to the question, they've lost some close ones. Yes, West Virginia, Notre Dame, to me, those are pretty good opponents, right? The Syracuse team is not a particularly good team. They lose this game the way they did at home. Is it dead man walking time for Justin Fuente at this point? It's pretty close. Maybe, maybe they could win the last five and salvage this thing. But Mike, Virginia Tech hasn't won five consecutive games all against ACC opponents since 2011, hmm. that team had David Wilson, the ACC Player of the Year, at tailback. That team had Logan Thomas at quarterback. That team went to the Sugar Bowl and won the Coastal Division. This ain't that team, man. No, to, to quote the uh, the once great Glenn Foley from Boston College after uh, playing Rutgers in a year that Rutgers was right on the cusp of a winning record, he was asked if he thought Rutgers was a bowl team, and he said, the only bowl that team is going to is the one I just got off of. That's uh, <laughs> a little bit of football history for my alma mater that uh, we're all quite, quite proud of, certainly. Um, this is not a, a great team. Five in a row seems really hard. Four of the last five coming on the road. Now, David, you keep making the point, and I think it's a good one. Yeah. Um, I keep saying, hey, four or five on the road, that really hurts. <laughs> you made the the pretty uh, smart point that maybe the best thing for this team is to get out of town. I uh, And I, I'm doubling down on that sentiment, Mike, after Saturday. I mean, you talk about a squad in desperate need of a change of scenery. <laughs> I think they're going to be doing cartwheels onto the charter. <laughs> they're, they're on the tarmac in Roanoke Friday afternoon as they get ready to fly to Atlanta. 
Yeah, I, think, I think it'll be really good for them. I think you're right. And they, they go to Atlanta for Georgia Tech. They go to Boston College. Um, and they play Duke at home. Then they go to Miami. Now, David, I just read four teams off that if this team was good, <laughs> I no. would say they're, they're, they can win all four of those. Absolutely. Uh, still possible, right? Sure. It's still possible. Not likely, but possible. It makes the finale against Virginia fascinating to me because I think you and I are both about on the same page. I think eight and four does save Fuente's job. I think eight and four has to include a win over Virginia and now mathematically has to include a win over Virginia. Um, We don't root in, in this business, but man, it would certainly be intriguing if Virginia Tech could get on a roll get things righted, uh, and go into UVA with seven wins, maybe the prospect of playing for Fuente's job. It, it would be. I, Mike, I, I find it hard to believe that an athletic director, Whit Babcock in particular, because he strikes me as a pretty pragmatic dude, would make the final decision on that afternoon or that evening, whatever – game time ESPN decides we're, we're going to have where he goes in and I say, you know, if we win, he coming back. If we <laughs> lose, he's gone. I, I, I just think the decision will be made by then one way or the other, except as, as we've talked about before, it matters how you win and how you lose. And that's what I, I think has hurt Fuente this season is how they've lost. Yes, they've played their backsides off every week, but the late game hiccups, you know, in in the, the, the game management hiccup against Notre Dame, Mike, that's coaching. You know, this is year six. This is Justin Fuente's 10th season as a head coach, the previous four at Memphis. He's not a rookie anymore. And, and nor are the guys on his staff. Well, there are some, Jack Tyler and such, but still, it's, you know, it's beyond time to be making rookie mistakes. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and it, it brings us pretty neatly to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. Take it or leave it. Justin Fuente will be Virginia Tech's football coach in 2022. Take it or leave it, and let's start with David. I'm going to leave it, guys, um, and and I don't say that lightly either, because you know you you talk about people and and their families, and it, that that means an, an upheaval for a, a lot of people. But oftentimes in coaching, we see guys who have won a lot of games, and Justin Fuente's 41 and 30 at Virginia Tech. His first two teams went 19 and eight. Combined, he was the ACC Coach of the Year in 2016. He he knows in large measure what he's doing, but we see it all the time in sports. A good coach or a successful coach, it starts to spiral, and when it does, and no matter what you try, you just can't fix it. And at that point, it's best for both parties if we just go our separate ways. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, it's hard to to do anything but leave it. Um, you know, I I'm sort of on record as I think changing coaches uh, is traumatic for a program. I think if you can find a reason not to change coaches, you should find that reason um, be, because it is starting over. No, no matter who you bring in or what a great a hire it is, you, you just set yourself back when you have to hit the reset button. Uh, at the same time, you can't ignore 
your fan base. You can't ignore the momentum and the direction. And uh, it just doesn't seem like things are, or, or it's clear that things are not trending in the right direction. It's tough, man, because you look at it and, and kind of David referenced this. Justin Fuente has proven he can win with a good team, right? He had a good team the first two years. He won 19 games. He won a division title in 10 games the first season. So with a good football team, I believe Justin Fuente can win. He's got some good recruits in the pipeline. So you say, okay, he's bringing in good players. He can do that part. He's proven he can win with a good team. It just somehow all of those pieces haven't added up to success. And um, it, it is the hardest but simplest, I think, part of managing major college athletics. This is one where it's the eye test and it doesn't seem like it's working. It doesn't look like it's working. When it's not working, you have to make a change. So um I don't expect them to rattle off five wins in a row. Uh, I don't expect them to get to eight. I don't expect them to end up in a high-level bowl. I think it's all too much, and and I think we have seen the end of, or we're here in the middle anyway, of the beginning of the end for for Justin Fuente. Now, making matters a smidge more painful for Tech fans, their rival, UVA, they're on a roll right now. Cavaliers have won four in a row. Uh, They prepare for a pair of high-profile non-conference games starting Saturday at BYU, where Bronco Mendenhall was the head coach for 11 years. Uh, This past weekend, they cruised against Georgia Tech until the last five minutes. David, you were there with me, and uh, that was a pretty impressive showing right up until the end. It was, Mike, and if if you'll permit me, and I hope I hope you don't get mad at me, I'm I'm going to take exception with your use of the word smidge, <laughs> be, be, because I think it makes I think UVA's success makes things much worse for Virginia <laughs> Tech fans. Not a smidge worse, a ton worse. And j- just to kind of to, to to frame it up for you. In the last three-plus seasons, Virginia Tech is 22-22. and 22. UVA is 28-17 and 17 in that mm. same stretch. Do you know when the last time the Cavaliers won more games than the Hokies did in a four-year stretch? 1992-1995. to 1995. I mean, that's just ancient history, right? Frank's, what was that, fifth season early on in his, right before the beginning of the, the bowl streak and all that? It's... Um, it's not good. And so, David, I have a question then. What is more salt in the wound, UVA on a roll or Hendon Hooker playing so well at Tennessee? I think it's, I think it's more UVA because that, that, that's, you know as well as I do, Mike, having, having covered this rivalry for as long as you have, that Hokie Nation delights in lording over UVA with, with the bowl streak that came to an end last year with, what was it, 16 consecutive wins. I think I have that right prior to 2019 in, in the Bryce Perkins game at, at Scott Stadium. And if, if that, when that goes away, they're, they're just they're going to be, and they are, they're, they're apoplectic. And what, what's as jarring is that Justin Fuente is renowned for his offenses and for his quarterbacks – and Virginia Tech hasn't had a reliably productive quarterback now for the, at least the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. And UVA's had Bryce Perkins, and now Brandon Armstrong is breaking all Bryce Perkins' records. Yeah, it's plenty of salt to go around for all your wounds, I guess, if you're a, a Tech fan. And 
you almost maybe got a break Saturday because you yeah. tried pretty hard, David, to, to make the Hokies fans feel better and give that one away. Yeah, not one, but two onside kicks recovered by, by Georgia Tech. Mike, in virtually the, the exact same fashion, right? Same yep. side of the field. It's like you were watching a replay. Because I, I had gone down to field level there for the last few minutes, assuming incorrectly that this thing was over and they, you know, we'd be, you know, we'd have guys taking knees and be headed to the interview room. But no, <laughs> we've got to take this down to a Hail Mary at the end. A Hail Mary that was pretty close. And Joey Blunt spiked that ball down into the ground, kind of volleyball style. But uh, that play had a chance and that would have been disastrous. Now, you look at UVA in this run they're on. Yes, they absolutely obliterated Duke 48 nothing. But funky road win at Miami <laughs> where they missed the game-winning field goal on the final play. Funky road win at Louisville, albeit a very impressive comeback, where the Cardinals miss potential game winner on the final play. And then this near gack it up against Georgia Tech. David, UVA's playing really well on offense. They've got their moments on defense. How much confidence, though, do you have in this bunch? I've got a good bit of confidence just because of number five. Yeah. I mean, he is un canny and mike th- th- this may be off base i was thinking about this the other day this might be off base from a purely technical football perspective but you know who brennan armstrong reminds me of who's that taylor heineke <laughs> i like it yeah i mean he i mean the cat the cat makes plays uh, although armstrong's more accurate Mm-hmm. Than Heineke, but the, the knack for escaping the rush, the fearless way he'll he'll take the ball down the field when he when he needs a first down, the sneaky speed, the incredible self confidence to to try throws, maybe that that someone else might not, and oh by the way. I don't blame Armstrong for trying those throws because he's got a fleet of wide receivers mm-hmm. who who make plays on a weekly basis. Dontavian Wicks is off the charts right now, and he's surrounded by s- some other really good players. No doubt. And, and one more on the Heineke comparison. I could absolutely see Brendan Armstrong doing the Lambo leap if he was on the visiting side, <laughs> right? I mean, playing in Green Bay, I could absolutely see him trying that. Yeah. Oh, in a minute, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. And, and Armstrong's numbers, David, you, you mentioned, they're off the charts. I mean, he leads the nation in passing yardage. Um, and it begs the question. I mean, they're putting up these points. He's winning ACC quarterback of the week, more weeks than he's not, leads the nation in passing yardage. Why aren't more people talking about the numbers he's putting up? It's Virginia and Virginia six and two and not on main ESPN all the time. It's the ACC. Although Kenny Pickett is getting more and more national attention, but Kenny Pickett just be Clemson on national TV and Kenny Pickett's only thrown one pick as opposed to, I think 23 or 24 touchdown passes this season. So he, he deserves all, all the, the, the chatter that, that that he's getting, but you know, if, even though it's a ten thirty game, mm-hmm. I think if Armstrong has another big outing against BYU 
And then that sets up that home game against Notre Dame. Then I think you're going to hear a lot of chatter and a lot of anticipation for the matchup. I think you're right. I was out at practice this morning and I was talking with Jason Beck, the quarterback coach, and he said it's something that they are uh, actively sort of preparing for, that there is going to be more attention on Brennan uh, coming down the stretch with some of these marquee games. David, he's got a couple of big stages in a row here. Uh, BYU, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, the rivalry game with Tech. Let's start with BYU, though. Uh, Do we like Virginia's chances? Because I do think it's a win if they get it that legitimizes where they're at, and if they play well offensively, legitimizes the numbers they've been putting up on that side of the ball. Mike, I don't know if we've violated any kind of state law, but we're almost 30 minutes into this podcast, and have we mentioned that Bronco used to coach at BYU? (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a good point. And you know what's funny is, being out of practice, David, their PR director, Jim Davis, who does a great job and is very helpful to us, told us going in, hey, Broncos decided his assistants aren't talking about their time at BYU. No trips down memory lane. Um, it was off the table today. So I always take that, and everybody can take it their own way. I always take it as it is in their heads a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think Bronco laid it out more as a logistical thing. Hey, there's a lot of reporters out in Utah that want to do that story. A lot of yeah. reporters in Virginia. I don't want my assistants bogged down with that stuff. Um and in, you know, I think from UVA's standpoint, well, maybe it's not fair to to let Mike Barber do that story because he's here at practice and not let the guys in Utah get a crack at it. Uh, I personally disagree, neither here nor there. Um, but it is interesting that that topic that we have been a uh, little late in getting to today, it's clearly on their minds. Well, and it's clearly on, on Mendenhall's mind too, because not to get too in, inside baseball, but we had our weekly Zoom opportunity with Bronco. Mm-hmm on Monday, and he usually is like, let's go straight to questions. But what happened yesterday? How long was that opening statement, Mike? Yeah, that was probably an eight-minute opening statement. And and all about BYU. All about BYU, his time there, very complimentary, nothing too hard-hitting. And then he ended it by saying, I'm hoping that'll be it for that. And it wasn't it for that call. And uh, that might be part of the reason that he came out of there and decided, well, that's it for the week. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it, 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 he, he may have been wanting to kind of diffuse it all, but there were reporters from Utah there and, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see how, how it plays out. And especially when it comes to his, his greeting, uh, when he walks out onto the field Saturday night in, in Provo, but I, I thought Mendenhall's statement was, was really heartfelt, mm-hmm. you know, the, what, what the institution meant to him and his family, you know, his dad played there, his brother played there. He worked there for 13 seasons, the final 11 as head coach. And of course, you know, his Mormon faith is very important to him. And all three of his sons have, have, or are going to serve Mormon missions and it, I found it very poignant just listening to him kind of describe how that institution and that experience is embedded in his life. Oh, yeah. Obviously huge, formative uh, in many ways. And I thought it was interesting just from a who the guy is standpoint to hear him talk about essentially coaching in his comfort zone at BYU and how good he thinks it's been for him his staff, his family, to come to the East Coast and coach outside 
of mm-hmm. that comfort zone, right? Where it's not, um, you know, BYU isn't the center and, and you know, the Mormon capital, all, all of those things. Here, it's, it's, it's more of the niche. And, and he's, um, he's really enjoyed that part. And he compared it to mission work, right? Where you're somewhere and you have your faith and your beliefs and your way of doing things, but it is not what you're surrounded by. Um, and you are trying to educate, but also fit in and, and, and work alongside and um, just insight into Bronco. I thought that was interesting. I think you're right. Very uh, heartfelt and, and, and honest opening statement. Although it, admittedly, I think it was his way also of getting it done and getting out of the way. Cause Hey, when he was hired, he said he did not want to play this game yeah. um, and he, he jokes, but you kind of get, it's kind of the joke where you get that chuckle and it's a painful chuckle where he's saying, I still feel this way um, that he would have given his druthers not wanted to play this matchup. Yeah, it was on the books to, to be clear, right. but before he was hired, wasn't one of those deals where his contract to Brigham Young said, if some other school hires you, you're obligated to come out here right. and play. This was a return game, and Virginia, you know, had had it contracted uh, before hiring him. Mike, and it was interesting when he when he talked yesterday about being happy for BYU, especially with the Cougars recently securing membership <laughs> in the Big 12, which is something that Bronco Mendenhall wanted for years because he considered independence, which is a route the school chose after leaving the Mountain West. He considered independence, in his word, unsustainable. Yeah, no, I don't and, think he was wrong. Well, no, I don't either. And here's the question I've mulled in my mind. If the Big 12 had taken BYU back then, would Bronco Mendenhall have even answered Virginia's phone call? That's a great question. I've drawn this comparison before, only specifically in this area, I want to be clear. Um, Bronco in that way reminds me of Buzz Williams. Uh, Everybody pondered, why, why did Buzz leave Marquette when he did? We got to know Buzz a little in his short time in tech, and he's one of those guys who kind of studied things, tried to project where things were headed. But mm-hmm. when he came to a conclusion, he was pretty set in that conclusion. And Buzz came to the conclusion that if you weren't in a Power Five conference, you were going to be left out of, of a lot of things moving forward. And it felt like he came to that conclusion. And an hour later, <laughs> he was on his way to Blackburg, Blacksburg to coach the Hokies. I feel like Bronco was in, in a similar vein kind of did the study, did the research, determined it was unsustainable, didn't think that BYU was coming around to that way of thinking, or, or at least not fast enough. And the next thing you know, he's on his way to Charlottesville. If you remember, David, a, a hire that really, I think, caught everybody by surprise. Oh, nobody, Mike. Nobody right. mentioned Bronco Mendenhall in speculation when, you know, when the Cavaliers decided to replace Mike London. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- not local reporters, not national media. No, it was it was one of those stealth hires, much like Tony Bennett. Yeah, the, the, the Virginia way, I suppose. But uh, yeah, Bronco Bronco to Virginia was an underdog. Uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech, both underdogs on the road this week. Let's check in with our expert and see what he thinks about all that in this week's edition of AMAX Puppy Chow. Well, we're joined now by our good friend, Aaron McFarling, the outstanding sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. And before we get into AMAC's Puppy Chow and the favorites and the underdogs, Aaron, you were there at, at Lane Stadium for uh, Virginia Tech's most recent defeat. Uh, we know about the game, and, and David and I have talked about that. Tell me a little bit about the vibe in the stadium. I mean, what what, what was it like? And um, 
it, it seems like it's getting to be an untenable situation there. Yeah, agreed. I, you know, I've seen obviously lots lots of worse performances out of Virginia Tech. I mean, it wasn't a terrible performance by any stretch, but there was a sense of inevitability about how it ended. Uh, you could kind of feel it in the stadium, I think, that, you know, the nine-point lead was, you know, it felt like a one-point lead. It felt like it was so easy to get rid of that just because of what happened against Notre Dame. You know, the chant, uh, you know, I led with the chant in my column because I thought it was an important uh, note that, you know, these these people who you know are still invested in the program, still going to the games, you know, still optimistic about uh, the result on Saturday, you know, they were ready with that chant. And I think, you know, if it had been an uglier result, if they'd have lost by 20, I think that chant might have gone on all the entire fourth quarter. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's looking to me like a situation where it's almost best for both parties, including Fuente, who I think can be successful somewhere, but I think it's just not working here. And, um, I think everybody knows it. Yeah. If you, if you haven't had a chance, go back and read Aaron's column over the weekend. It was uh, very well done and took us into the scene there. Well, well now the Hokies, they have to go down to Atlanta, which, uh, Mr. Teal keeps telling me, hey, it might be better for this team to get on the road and get away from uh, all of that home atmosphere that that's a little bit soured. Uh, Vegas has Georgia Tech as a four-point favorite in Atlanta against the Hokies. What do you like in this line? Yeah, I've been listening to David say that several weeks now, and I, I you know, I think he's right. And it used to be that the Hokies were – you know, great war- road warriors under Frank, and they would talk about how the you know you eliminate all the distractions of, of you know tickets and all those things, and and just play for each other, and and it became a rallying cry for them. Um, you know, I don't like the Hokies here, but I don't like Georgia Tech either. So uh, in in those cases, I'm going to take the points. I'll take the four points. Um, you know, it's hard to put much faith in either of these guys. You know, they're they're combined four and ten against the spread in their past seven conference games together. Um, you know, Tech has not been good on the road in, in recent times. You know, Georgia Tech has not been good at home in recent <laughs> times. So, uh, again, I mean, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and take the Hokies 28-24. They've been so close in, in these games. I mean, that's something I don't think people can dispute. You know, they, they can be mad about it and they can complain. Certainly that's a right as a fan, but they cannot deny the fact that uh, in, in three of these four losses that the Hokies had, there was a very, very good shot to win those games. Absolutely. And I just saw Georgia Tech firsthand against Virginia, and I can vouch for the fact that they're not very good. <laughs> so it is it is quite the power matchup down there in Atlanta. Uh, two teams that, that seem like they are pretty decent, uh, BYU and Virginia. Virginia going back to Bronco Mendenhall's old stomping grounds. He was the Cougars coach for 11 years, led them to 11 straight bowls. Um, a very defensive style there for Bronco when he was at BYU. Now he's taken the Cavaliers there. They've won four in a row, but they're two and a half point underdogs at BYU. Aaron, what do you make of that line? First of all, are you going to Utah? Obviously, I haven't heard the rest <laughs> of the pod yet, but... I, I am not making the trip. Uh, the ten fifteen kickoff is what finally the, the late night ah, kickoff is what yeah. finally sunk me. We were kind of battling over uh, would we pay to send me? Would we not? And I, I think it's going to be a great game. And the storylines, obviously, we got into, but the storylines are, are are just outstanding. But uh, that late a kickoff has no chance of making the paper. And uh, I'm going to take that one in from home. Honestly, Aaron, one of the biggest considerations. I need to be home in time to take my kids trick or treating on <laughs> Halloween Sunday. Attaboy. And I. I just didn't know how that would work with such a late kickoff. Understood. Yes. And you know, I, you know, there's no gambling allowed in Utah. So, you know, I'm not going to set foot <laughs> there. I'll be at Martinsville Speedway this weekend. But no, uh, to your question, this game has all sorts of juice. I agree. But, 
that the trends, you know, in recent weeks, and we've talked about it week after week, that, that they've just been smiling all over the Cavaliers. And if you if you follow those trends, you know, as a better, you've you've made money. I mean, it's they've been really good to betters um, in recent times, and you know that even carries over into the road now. You know, they they have the Miami cover, and uh, you know they're they're starting to play better on the road. Um, you know, UVA covered in four straight games overall five in a row in non-conference games. And maybe more importantly, you know, is BYU is just one in five against the spread in its past six games as a home favorite. So, uh, you know, they don't normally play that well in this spot. I mean, there are some definite extenuating circumstances in this game. There should be no shortage of motivation on either side. But um, I'll go ahead and take Virginia here, 40 to Interesting. Now, I always wonder when we talk about teams' record against the spread, um, if they shouldn't break that down further because when you're talking about three points or less – there's not a lot of wiggle room there, right? Like, you know, I, I think about teams that get these big 28-point spreads and then fail to cover. Um, like, that trend to me seems uh, better to follow as a better than a two-and-a-half-point spread where, I mean, that's basically saying, I mean, if, if Virginia is going to cover, they probably have a pretty good chance to win, right? Sure. And, and yeah, I, I just look at it as here's how you're playing relative to expectations. You know, that's mm-hmm. part of the reason I liked Syracuse last week. You know, people say, well, they've lost three in a row. I say, well, they've covered four. You know, that's what I say. <laughs> I say, you know, look at look at what they're doing relative to the spread. And you're right. It is hard to thread that needle on a 2.5 point spread. But look, that's kind of what Syracuse did in those games leading <laughs> yeah. up to that Virginia Tech game. They were losing games by a field goal, you know, where they were like four and a half to six point underdogs so um, I think it all matters but yes you're right I mean uh, you could look at straight up records in a case like this and they'd probably be just as uh, important as as a spread record that makes sense well take us now across the board who's your upset of the week I'm going to go to Madison, Wisconsin again. That's where we started the season with Penn State upsetting uh, Wisconsin. That was our pup of the week that that week, and we're going to make Iowa our pup of the week this week. I can't tell you the last time I saw a college game, especially a Power 5 game, with an over-under of 36.5. That's the expectation here that it will be nothing but defense, defense, defense. You know, a fumble recovery or a pick could be the difference here. The Hawkeyes, you know, they're coming off a loss, but they're, you know, they've covered in five straight road games they're 4-0-1 against the spread in their past five as a puppy you know whiskey's covered just once in their past five as a home favorite so same scenario same record that BYU has in such situations so uh, I like Iowa to bounce back I'll say 21-17 Iowa they get it done both on the money line and against the spread well there you go it's funny you mentioned that over under and I kind of went into this week expecting my alma mater Rutgers they're playing Illinois I figured that would be the lowest over under they set that at 42 and a half but uh, Wisconsin Iowa has that beat I guess would be the way we'd say (laughs) even lower So um, some really high-scoring, exciting games expected in the Big Ten this weekend. Aaron, as always, thanks for joining us. Great stuff. Thanks, Mike. Good luck, everybody. Well, David, let's step away from the ACC for a second because conference realignment has come to Virginia in a pretty significant way. And a team that you, two teams really, that you are quite familiar with, Old Dominion and James Madison, uh, they're on the move. So take us inside where they're headed, why they're headed there, and and. Big picture, do you think this is good for for JMU and for ODU? I think it is, Mike, and and let's be clear, all realignment, well, most all, is football-driven, and clearly this one is. JMU 
Old Dominion, Marshall, and Southern Mississippi are all headed to the Sun Belt Conference. And the Sun Belt, as folks may recall, had two teams finish in the top 25 last season in Coastal Carolina and Louisiana. And Coastal Carolina was undefeated until losing to Liberty in, in the Cure Bowl. But, but still, two top 25 teams, a 10-team football conference will now grow to 14. And I think Jeff Bourne and JMU have been very wise because they could have been, been far too eager to jump. And they've just kind of bided their time and said, okay, let's find the best fit at the right time. And the Sun Belt is at its peak. In adding Marshall and Old Dominion as well, all of a sudden JMU is going to find itself, Mike, in a terrific regional division of the Sun Belt that includes Marshall and App State and Coastal Carolina and Georgia and Georgia State. And Old Dominion, I mean, it's perfect. It really is. And oh, by the way, if, as expected, the college football playoff expands to 12 teams, the group of five conferences, of which the Sun Belt is one, will be guaranteed at least one spot in the playoff every season. That's that's pretty appealing. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree with you more. I, you know, I started my Virginia portion of my career uh, in 2002 covering JMU. And it seems like from the day I arrived in Harrisonburg, all I heard is, what, when is JMU going to make the jump? And it became an interesting topic later in my time in, in Harrisonburg because they had built a successful football program. They were winning consistently. They had built up their facilities. Uh, they have a beautiful baseball and softball venue, a new basketball arena. Uh, the Olympic sports got these fields on this tiered level uh, that are just beautiful. Um, and then they you know, worked on that stadium and they've built up the fan base. They've built up the facilities. It just felt like they were building for this move and fans were growing impatient. And I get that. And part of being a fan, right, is being impatient. And I always told people, I said, come back to me in like 20 years. And if JMU has waited for the right moment, then give Jeff Bourne a plaque in the Hall of Fame, right? Because it's been perfect. Build the facilities, build up the programs, wait for the right moment to make your move. If the right moment had passed and they let it slip them by, then you can criticize and then you can bang and say, you did all this building and you, and you never got across the finish line. This feels like the perfect landing point. And it feels like what they've been kind of looking for since I want to say it was 2005, maybe they commissioned a feasibility study uh, on the jump and, you know, title nine implications and all of those kind of things. This just feels like what they've been waiting for. I think it's a great move for them. How about old dominion, David, what what, what do you look at and, and like for the monarchs? Well, old dominion really needed to get out of conference USA. In fact, you could argue that Old Dominion, in contrast to James Madison, jumped too soon. I mean, the Monarchs had a cup of coffee as an FCS program and did very well. You know, was was a was a national championship contender, and I saw Taylor Heineke throw for like 700 yards against New Hampshire in a CAA game one afternoon in in Norfolk, and that program was really a nice fit in the Colonial and in FCS, but as soon as they could, they jumped. 
and had that one terrific season under Bobby Wilder, went to the Bahamas Bowl. If you're going to go bowling, there are worse <laughs> places to go. They they won the game, ended up, you know, I think they finished 10-3 and three or maybe even 11-2 and two that, that year. You know, just a, a, a fabulous season. But then it you know went downhill quickly, and and now Ricky Ronnie, the former Penn State offensive coordinator, is running the show, and this is his first season, and and they're struggling after they skipped last season because of COVID. But Conference USA, we use the word that Bron- you know Bronco Mendenhall's word on independence, unsustainable. That's what Conference USA looks like now. Now Conference USA tried to keep Old Dominion and Marshall in in the fold by saying hey we'll we'll bring liberty and jmu in but it was the sunbelt had more aces to play especially with its television package with espn and the, the schools chose wisely in picking the sunbelt instead of conference usa yeah, agree completely. But if you rewind five or six years, that statement would sound ludicrous. Like if you told me it was going to be Conference USA or the Sun Belt to sort of survive here, mm-hmm. I, Conference USA would have been the choice easily. Um, the Sun Belt has really done a nice job. And you mentioned that ESPN deal. Uh, that that certainly helps. And um, it's going to be fun to watch. And, and, and you, you brought up a great point that I think obviously football drives all of this. But for all of those other sports, it's going to be nice to have some of those regional rivalries as conference games. And, you know, we, we, I say I grew up, but I started my career with JMU and the CAA and, you know, JMU and Richmond, uh, William and Mary, and even the, the far away games, Delaware, they were great rivalries that were close by. And um, I think it's going to be good for both schools to get that back. I think the Sun Belt is a conference on the rise. The ACC, (laughs) obviously, it's well-established and uh, such a a great basketball league and uh, what Clemson and Florida State have done for it in football and in the not-so-distant past. But right now, David, I don't know. The ACC is continuing to to kind of sort itself out. We got Wake Forest. They're still undefeated after an absolutely wild one with Army. Pittsburgh cleared what is still perceived as a major hurdle, defeating Clemson. We've talked about Virginia and the hot streak that they're on. What do we make of the ACC right now? Well, Mike, we're, we're, we're talking about a Wake Forest program that's 7-0 and for the first time since World War II. That's, that's pretty notable. And, and ranked number 13 in the country. And in one of the craziest stat lines of all time on Saturday, beat Army 70-56. to Now, here's the kicker. The Deacons scored 70 points, and this was their time of possession, 17 minutes and 17 seconds. That's almost impossible to right. do. <laughs> Just to me, you know, we were talking about, does Brennan Armstrong get enough love? Sam Hartman's having a hell of a year, the Wake Forest quarterback. I mean, he's really good, really good. Mike Wake is going to beat Duke on Saturday. They're going to be 8 0, hitting, hitting that last stretch against Carolina in a non conference game, and then NC State and Clemson and BC, those last two on the road. 
to me, it's just really intriguing. You thought NC State maybe had a chance to, to win the Atlantic, but NC State goes and not only loses at Miami yeah. on Saturday, but Isaiah Moore, who's arguably yeah. the best linebacker in the league, he sustained a season-ending knee injury. You just hate to, to see that. No, by the way, Miami lost its leading tackler in safety, Bubba Bolden, to a shoulder. He's done, now done for the year. So, you know, the the MASH units are in, in full operation at, at several programs right now. Yeah, and don't forget NC State, uh, the more loss is huge. But Peyton Wilson, uh, who went into the year we thought was going to be perhaps the defensive player of the year, they lost him early in the season to injury. So that they've, they've been hit hard. Um, it's interesting. The, the end of wake schedule kind of mirrors a little bit of what Virginia has, where um, they've piled up some big numbers and some good wins and, and some good feeling, but they're going to have the chance to prove or disprove their worth uh, down the stretch. I think it's going to be fun to watch. No, I, I think it's going to be really fun. And, you know, heck, who knows how high up wake or Pitt could get in, in the, in the rankings and, who wouldn't sign up? I mean, I certainly would for a, a Wake Pit ACC championship game. People would say, oh, yeah, who's going to watch that? I sure as heck would. That would be entertaining. Yeah, I think it'd be a great game. Maybe not the, the national appeal. But David, let me ask you, an undefeated Wake team or a one-loss Pittsburgh team, do they have an outside shot at the college football playoff or is it time to put that talk away till next year? Oh, I, outside chance, sure. It no, depends I, how how far outside I'm saying. <laughs> no, I, I I think it all it all as always it hinges on what happens elsewhere. Yeah, you know who who knows what's going to happen in, in other conferences. But yeah, I I see no reason why not. I, I I still think it's a long shot, not quite as a long shot as maybe Justin Fuente getting his seventh year, but a long shot nonetheless. Maybe that should have been our uh, who you got. Better chance of happening. <laughs> yeah. Justin Fuente keeps his job or the ACC puts a team in the college football. Yeah, let's, let's go back and start the whole podcast over. <laughs> no, maybe we'll do that next week. So please <laughs> tune in next week. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next time.